0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming. It has been said uh, one or two times on this podcast, maybe every episode, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just literally too many good games out there these days that we can be spending our hobby time or our hobby dollars on. It often leads to a serious feeling of fear of missing out, uh, as the kids say. Uh, they're just you know there's too many things and we sometimes hard to know what to play next. Uh, as part of that, this podcast sort of explores the games that my guests and I have been enjoying playing, uh, industry events, uh, different uh, game systems that are coming up, and yeah, just tabletop gaming in general. Now today we have a pretty special project that we are going to be talking about. Um, You, if you've been listening recently, have heard me talking about games that I've enjoyed like Warlords of Erewhon or 7TV, which are not necessarily miniature agnostic, but miniature neutral, uh, which means they're not made by a specific miniature company selling a particular miniature line. Um, And they are sort of open source sandbox games. Today we're going to talk about a game that takes that idea and just runs with it, flies with it. It ex- The idea explodes everywhere, and it is really exciting. Now, uh, you might know my guest as the gentleman behind uh, one of the largest Warhammer 40,000 uh, news updates uh, just article sites uh, fate 212 uh, you might know him as Nafka we call him Gary Krieger and he is here today to talk about his new game system which will be going to Kickstarter on July 12th Gary welcome to cast ice how you doing
1: good good how you doing
0: I'm great man oh man I uh, Let's talk, just before we get into the Kickstarter, um, I know a lot of people are big fans of your site and what you bring. Um, Why don't you tell us just for a quick second, for those who don't know or those who do, um, how did you get started with Fate 212 and um, how that sort of led you to where you are now?
1: Uh, Well, that was kind of an accident, really. (laughs) (laughs) It always
0: is.
1: (laughs) No, um, you know, I was playing a lot of 40K, which is, you know, Mm -hmm. normal. Yeah. And uh, and I'd go into the game stores and uh, and I was I was playing a lot of games and people would always be stopping me and asking me what I think of this. Should I be doing this? Mm -hmm. Should my list change? What do you think of of this that's coming out? And there was a point a point in it where I was playing leagues that, you know, a small game would take me three or three to four hours. Mm -hmm. And so finally, I just wanted I was reading some sites back then. And so I said, you know what? I'm just going to put it on, on online, a blog, mm-hmm. and I'm going to answer these questions for them. So I don't get interrupted all the time while I'm at a game store. That's right. <laughs> you want my opinion? Go read it. Yeah, exactly. And I said, I said, I will answer you and let me finish my game. Mm-hmm. I'll answer you. And then I'll expand on it for you a little bit later. Just here. This is where you go to do it. Mm-hmm. And so really the site was, was designed just for that, just nice. so that I could answer questions more thoroughly for people that would, be asking me questions while I play. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm a big dark Eldar player. Mm-hmm. And that was right before the big release of the dark Eldar. They we're just coming out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm kind of a news junkie on, you know, on my own spare time. Yep. Uh, my wife's cured me of some of that, but not all of it. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> not making any uh, connections to my own life there. Yep.
1: <laughs> and, and since that's kind of what I did anyway, I always searched for. I was I was always used to getting a news story from some you know one of the major major news companies, and I'd always go to the local newspaper to get more details mm-hmm. or the and get their articles and find out what they're talking about. So that you actually get you know more firsthand information, and that's just what I that's what I did on my own. Um, and so it kind of just translated with the site. I started just talking about the Dark Eldar releases because. I was excited. <laughs> yeah. And um, about, I think for the first nine months of the site, it was me talking to myself and maybe one or two other people from, from the last time I was at the game store mm-hmm. and that was it. And then it just kind of went from there. And next thing you know, I, I don't know what happened, but yeah, within about, I guess a year or two after that, it was, you know, a hundred thousand people on the site. Yeah. I was like, so. so yeah, someone told me that I wouldn't get more than 20,000 views in a month at one point. So there's yeah. just not a there's not enough people for it. Surprise. That doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more people than they think. Exactly. This, this is a this is a big hobby. It's worldwide and um you know, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a great hobby. It is.
0: It is. Well, we are very happy to have you on today to talk about not Warhammer 40,000, uh, but a different yep. game system. Now, as I said in sort of the preamble, um, it's an open source game. Uh, not, maybe open source isn't the right word. A miniature neutral game. You can use almost any company for it. But before we get into that, we should probably talk about what the Genesis project is. And I think the name is. Just a fantastic uh, title for the game system that you lay out. Um, As a lover of, you know, the civilization video games, um, where you sort of build a society um, from scratch and, you know, you sort of lay out the technology and the developments of those people as they go through, this sort of takes that idea and... (laughs) Again, runs with it um, to the nth degree. Can you – why don't you give us the elevator pitch? What is the Genesis Project, and how basically does it work? Because it's incredibly detailed, and I think you would probably be the best man to do it.
1: Well, well, it's, it's, a, it's a customizable war game where, mm-hmm. where you get to cr- create your faction. Mm-hmm. Um, you do that by picking traits that give you – that, that have a set of abilities with them. Um, And that allows you to customize your faction to exactly what you want to play, whether it be designing a faction for miniatures that you already have in your closet Mm -hmm. to um, a theme that you want to play to some miniatures from a company that you really want to get because they're just that good. Right. Um, Or just if you want to customize to your heart's content or find that rule, that rule set that you like, It, it really allows the flexibility to create what you want. Nice. I mean, a lot of people have a play style that they that they fall into. Mm. You know, some people love charging just straightforward and just hitting you hard. You know mm-hmm. with uh, uh, <laughs> Some people like to sit back. Some people like a mix of it. Some... And this allows you to also really customize uh, the faction to, to, for your play style. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. I mean, I've played a lot of games where, you know, part of, half, half the rules I'm not for, for my army. I'm not I don't I don't care for really. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit the way I play, so I'm not going to use them. I'm not going to use that part of it. Or right. it may have this really cool miniature that, man, I hate the rules for it. <laughs> yeah, right? Well,
0: that's part of the problem when you have a company that's making uh, armies that are supposed to appeal to a lot of people. Even in within the specific confines of maybe a race or an army list within a, a big game like Warhammer 40,000, for example, they need to have a variety of... Um, of units and, you know, rules to, you know, to, to give people a a, a more than so you don't your armies aren't one dimensional, you need to give them a variety to sort of let them to cater their their own forces, but they are still confined by the rules and the fluff of that game. What you're offering is to take those shackles off, as you say, and just let them run wild with it.
1: Right. Well, yeah, there's, you can build the idea behind the game is that pretty much you can, you can fit and tailor that, that play style or that, or that theme. And you can, and as you play, you can continue on that by creating your own heroes from gameplay. Nice. And those, those, those heroes will actually create a narrative. As you keep playing your games, you can add new, at new, new abilities to them. Um, you know, we've all had those games before where, mm-hmm. one, for some re- for some bizarre reason, you are about to lose or lose your mission or whatever it is, and and one squad just pulled it off or a yep. model was the, the, yeah. How many how many sixes did you just roll? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this game, you get to make your heroes out of those guys. That's so amazing. So, your hero then you create your heroes and they become something part of your narrative. So you get not only do you get to create the actual rules within your faction, but you actually are creating your narrative from gameplay. Um, which gives you a lot of, you know, just so it's so much fun. I see people that, and I, and I kind of jumped here, but I I mean, good friends of mine have these armies where almost every guy in, in their, in their, in their Imperial guard armies is, is is named. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be able to take a game that could, um, not just care those people, but get them excited about, you know, their individual models and, and their, and their exploits and, yeah. And, 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 and so
0: on. That's why most of us get into gaming in the first place that, that, you know, being able to play out those cinematic narratives on the tabletop that, you know, just that we love in maybe movies or comic books or books that we read. Right. And this is the opportunity to do that.
1: It is. And, and with the games, you know, there are games out there that allow you to level kind of level up and, and purchase new gear and stuff like that mm. as you play, but a lot of them you play the game and it and it's done and it kind of resets you back. Yes. Um and so this the, the, the point here is is literally the the Genesis project, it has there's three ages of gameplay in it. hmm the first age is kind of the fantasy, medieval, Renaissance. Second mm-hmm. age is modern, to near future, and the third age is the far distant future. But you can create a faction during any of those ages. Mm-hmm. Create one in the first and actually play through, advancing and progress through all the way through the different ages to create this very dynamic, long, you know, history of of your faction. That's awesome. So, and all through gameplay, it was important that you know your primary missions that you that you have have awards to them mm-hmm. um, and that you're able to, to be flexible with that. And so you can actually, you you get within your missions there, get your correct forces ready to actually play that mission, get that mission, gain an award from that mission and, and either create a new, a new class of guys within your faction, or maybe you covered an artifact or um, really, really carry that, carry that narrative.
0: That is fantastic because Uh, so many of these games sort of fit a particular genre, but by spacing it out over three ages, uh, as you Mm -hmm. say, you're able to, I mean, really just cater for almost any time period um, that one can imagine. Uh, But as you say, you're able to sort of guide the evolution of a species almost throughout that Mm -hmm. entire time period, which is something I have literally never seen in a game before.
1: Yeah, it, it... And even though you say it, it, was, it, its taken a long, long time to actually work through it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, the game's been the game's been in development for about six years now, um, and uh, our we had an open beta that lasted a little bit over a year, had about 900 participants in it, mm-hmm. and and that was worldwide. It was we had people from everywhere. It was interesting, mm-hmm. and then we had, um, and that's been basically closed for about a year now. Um, and that gave us a really good, that gave us a lot of feedback, gave us a lot of ideas on where people were going with their factions. Um, and a lot of questions are, Hey, can it, can the game do this or will it do this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, we really believe, I, I really believe that there's not a lot of miniature lines out there that you can't create something within the Genesis project for. I actually,
0: uh, I actually went through my shelf of books this morning, uh, and went through my cases, and went, uh, and I came to that very conclusion. I went through game by game by game by game by company by company by company, uh, and literally every single model I own can easily be uh, placed in this universe, so to speak, and it, it's amazingly encompassing. Well, that's that's
1: that's always good to hear. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, we've, we've looked at a lot of, I mean, over the last six years, we've looked at a lot of miniature lines from different companies, Mm -hmm. a lot of games that don't have game, a lot of miniature companies that don't have games and ones that do have, you know, have miniatures and back and forth Mm -hmm. and really looking at and saying, can this be made? You know? Um, So I think we do. I, I think the game will really encompass that, but I think it'll do more than that. I think there's actually more depth to it than that. I think that, um just just to look at for instance um you know lycanthropy for instance there's mm-hmm. it's not just wolves but you can there's the other transformations from the different types of animals that are involved mm-hmm. whether you got it from a curse from you know being hereditary or um science you know, it's like, yeah so there's there's all sorts of different options and mm. depth within the game that lets you really customize exactly how you're building how you're building your guys all the way through the ages and the first age, there's a um, you can really create monsters. Oh yeah, you can create your classical monsters. You can create ones on, on, of your own, of your own bidding. Mm-hmm. Um, the second age, we you, ju- you start jumping into vehicle vehicle uh, creation rules. Mm-hmm. So you're creating your own vehicles, um, you designing your own tanks. Um, and the same thing goes for the third age, where you're getting into your power armor. You get to customize how your power armor with your backup systems and. Mm-hmm. You know whether you've got uh, you know stems to help you know rejuvenate you as you take wounds, or or if you're into genetics, or there's just so many different directions you can go.
0: Yeah. But so, a lot of what. Um, people I guess would assume is I mean we as human beings often when we envision going into the past and going into the future and envision sort of humanoid races um, human-esque mm-hmm. races you know even if you're going back through fantasy I mean if we look at dwarves we look at elves orcs all of those sort right. of fall under the humanoid uh, umbrella but what you've provided in this game in addition to giving people uh, a variety of time periods to you know to put their forces into you've actually gone much deeper than that by breaking it into lots of different factions. When you say a faction, you're just t- talking about different types of humanoids. You're getting way deeper than that. And I think you let's, let's talk about that because that's, that's a big part of this game. Okay.
1: It is it, what the, what in the game. There are five different domains of life. Mm-hmm. Um, those domains are humanoids mm-hmm. um, and humanoids encompass pretty much everything you just said. Yeah. So so, giants, dwarves, you know, elves. There's a, a, la- a large number of, a large variety of what human beings can be. Um, and then there's the fae. The fae are, um, are outside of reality. Mm-hmm. So, they could be your angels, demons, you know, elemental type creatures or mm-hmm. or so. Um, and then you have your reptilia, which are all the reptile type species, whether it's draconics or we have tuatarans and saurians and, and different lineages within that. Um then there are uh, the beasts mm-hmm. which incorpor- incorporate all the uh, um, several different animal kingdoms that you can build within, whether it's build- whether you're building monsters mm-hmm. or you're building more human-like um, um, beasts that are that just have those more feral um, abilities and stuff. The, then we have the insects and the insects are um, uh, well there are lots of classifications yes. of insects that we have. But there's also um, tied into that we have the um, cordyceps uh, fungi also mixed into the insects because as a as a control as they can be a controlling aspect of of the uh, insects as well. And so then after the so basically after the insects Mm -hmm. um, you're able to um, create a faction. You have the five domains, and you start within one of the five. Mm-hmm. But you also have the ability to cross over and get abilities from other, other domains. Oh, nice. And the best example of that is a spellcaster, for instance. Mm. Um, you, spells and powers are really outside of rea- They come from outside of reality, mm-hmm. and those are in, in the fey domain. But through, traits and, uh, through, through the traits and abilities that you choose, you'd be able to, you're able to cross over and grab and and access some of those. Um, nice. And there is also the, uh, I, 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 it's like the the door of Pandora, right? We call it forbidden lore. hmm And for, forbidden lore, basically allows you to grab a single trait from almost anywhere in the game, <laughs> um, and 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 basically opens it up for the uh, the rest of the rest of your faction. Opens up a specific you know branch of of traits. So you could technically have a humanoid faction, for instance, take forbidden lore Mm -hmm. and jump into the into the fae with it and grab a trait out of the death from from death. Mm -hmm. And now a lot of your faction might become undead. Oh, nice. And or they might become or you might go into destruction or um, corruption. There's this there's different areas to go into or you might become much more feral, you might start taking things out of the beast domain. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's different directions that you can go and ju- and cross do- and be um, and cross over in the domains to really customize even further.
0: Definitely. Well, I'm I'm just looking through some of the rules at the moment, and just talking about, um, I mean, this as soon as you start talking about evolutionary branches, and um, mm-hmm. before you start talking about starting characteristics, I mean, you really are opening up a system that will allow you to, to, to fit what you are hoping to build, uh, and just the level, just the n- sheer number of traits uh, that you have included. In just the basic rules that I've seen are astonishing. Um, the detail here is extraordinary, uh, and I it's I don't I don't know how else to to dive in without you know <laughs> taking a little in, from just dipping my my toe in the water as to falling into a very deep ocean. It looks a sensational. Um, how did you come up with all of this? Because as, I mean, as you say, it takes time, but this is, this is incredibly detailed and well thought out.
1: So what we decided, what we did is we created a, um, a way to create your species Mm. that was really meant to be something that you could do, um, quickly as far as the mechanics go. Mm. And you would, and so what you do is you create. You have a starting set of characteristics, mm-hmm. and with that, say for humanoids, for instance, you're creating, you're selecting four to eight different traits for your for your species that affect your your army, mm-hmm. your whole army. Um, and that concept by itself is is pretty simple, so it can be done at, 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 with a relatively ease of of doing it. Now, yeah, once we had that in place, it was, you know, okay, well. Well, where are these traits and well they're divided up into different evolutionary branches that's right and what that does is is allows you to kind of pick your traits from these branches and kind of branch and kind of branch outwardly from them so you have these you have your primary traits and your secondary traits well in order to get to the secondary traits you have to have a primary trait nice and so it kind of branches you outwards and kind of directs the, the way that you're build, building your faction and, um, and later on, your classes, because you have individual classes too that help really expand mm-hmm. um, what your individual guys will be more, what they'll be like. Your, cl- your unit classes are groups of you know, soldiers or guys that have different skills mm-hmm. above and beyond what you, the rest of your faction does. Nice. And so you create a number of these classes. Uh, and that that process is done on top of the species, so you're you're selecting additional traits, which add additional points to those classes. So and that that's in the gist of it. That's pretty much how this the the system for it. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it pretty, and then it's just a matter of now designing what you want, <laughs> what you want to play. Exactly.
0: Well, the way it, everything is set out, it's set out in, um, in, in charts with the point values associated with everything. And what I really like about that, it, it's very clear, the process is clear as you go through how to follow it, and everything mm-hmm. is pointed so that you know exactly, um, so each of these, Ideas are uh, incorporated in so that you have you know a value that actually represents that on the tabletop. So despite this incredibly variable system where you sort of evolve as you go, you're able to have still have fair and fun games on the tabletop. Right, right.
1: And that's what it comes down to. I mean, it's mm. not just a it's not just a a, a you know a faction creation game. It's, right. It's about playing the games and and evolving the games so that your missions give you awards and Mm -hmm. you're playing the group of people that you play in almost becomes like its own, its own world with its own story because you know, the my, the reptilia player that I'm playing Mm -hmm. all of a sudden has lots of flyers and I'm okay, well that's not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I got to figure out, so you, you adapt to each other almost Mm -hmm. like you would in evolution, adapting to each other. And, and trying and, and surviving. So it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a ton of fun to have a group of guys and be playing over the, over the, you know, over a period of over a year or two years. Mm And um, the in-house play testers um, are are quite interesting trying to always, always stay on top of each other. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes.
0: Well, it's also great because if someone wants to join in the fun or if you want to play a pickup game of this using one of your existing armies that you may have from another game system, um, the point yeah. values are laid out in such a way that you can easily then figure out how to sort of level out with everyone else at the same time, even if you don't go through that process.
1: Yeah. And, and that's the other thing, too, is that when you're playing and even if a group of guys have been playing for a couple months,
0: mm-hmm.
1: if they've been playing for a couple months. Another, a new person can jump in and even create a faction that's, you know, just starting, mm-hmm. and the point values will, will, will balance that out in, in the end. They're, they're, they'll be fielding a lot less guys. They'll be fielding, you know, so it, it it's really balanced out. And we've had new people come in and out of the playtesting circles, um, over the last several years, and mm-hmm. they just jump right in. Yeah. We've not had the issues of, of that, um, of, you know, the guys that are, much further along being all these all more powerful than than the new guys
0: that's saying something because that again is something that you often don't see in other game systems it is very hard to accomplish that but through all the trees of charts that interconnect and how you go from one to the next that really does it it really is new player friendly uh in in a really spectacular way that for such a narrative driven game, if you're playing it that way, is very hard mm-hmm. to achieve and you never see. So, yeah, hats off to you, man, because as I was oh reading God. this, I was thinking this is I mean, this is something special. That is something you just don't get that often um, for uh, an opportunity for new players to you know, come in mid quote, quote unquote campaign um, and to be yep. on an equal level is is truly rare.
1: Yeah, and, and it's important because I think that that's how you keep the campaigns going. Because some people are going to drop out for a little mm-hmm. while, some people are going to come back in. Life happens. Exactly. So we're not we're not all hobby based. I wish we I wish that's all we could, we had to do, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> but you know, and it's it's one of those things that the new person can come in. The games the game system itself is 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 easy to learn. It's mm-hmm. we have it's one core set of rules for all three ages. Um, and really jump in where they want to play. And if a store is running a, a massive campaign and there's a group in the first, there's people playing the first, second, and third, they can kind of jump in where they want and, uh, you know, re- and, and really have a lot of fun with it. And the same thing goes for models too. I mean, someone's starting out in a, in a game where you have to start buying models. Okay, well, now I've only got you know mm-hmm. 500 points. I've only got this many points of, of, of models for this game. But for the Genesis Project, you, you really, models already in your closet can come out and join, in, join into the game right away.
0: And I do have a lot of models in my closet, so that is uh, great news for me. Um, <laughs> well, as you say, this isn't just a faction-building game. There's, I mean, clearly that's what you need to do before you get onto the tabletop. But let's talk yep. about how the game plays itself. Um, when you are playing okay. this game with other people, what does it, look like uh being so broad uh a scope for narrative talk to us a little bit about some of your games so we get a feel well uh,
1: first you decide on a point value Mm -hmm. um, when you come to the table because the point values in this game scale upward scale the game upwards nice and what i mean by that is is that you you have a discipline characteristic in the game And the characteristics generally range from one to six. Generally, they could do go above, but Mm -hmm. and so if you've got a a three discipline, for instance, and you're playing a a 500 point skirmish game, your squad size will be for for a a beginning class will be one to three guys. It's a it's a small game. Mm -hmm. That's how big your squad will be. Nice. If you increase that discipline to four, then you can have up to four guys. Now, right. If you play say a thousand point game. That, that squad size will double nice. so you could be your squad might be two to eight guys for that for that class and then your leaders might be able to now join the game because they were excluded from a small game and so they, and you could only have say one leader in in, the, in that larger game until you play a much bigger game gotcha so it's it's incremental on the size of game that you play on what lo, what class levels are able to come into the game and how many of them right um, and so that means you're very big games uh, in it uh, might be able to bring in very unique very powerful um, uh, miniatures <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> so but that's what the that's what the scale of the game how it scales upwards mm-hmm. um, other and then what you the next thing that you're doing once you decide your point value is you are you um, well, first of all, you're handing your your, your army, your faction to the other opponent so they have a concept of what the heck you can bring. Right. right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's one of the that's one of the things that you do when you get to the game board. Hey, this is my faction. Mm-hmm. These are you know, so they can see what you have. Um you're deciding the point value. You roll up your prime then you roll up your primary missions. hmm Um, and there's a bunch of them. Each, each, each person that's at the table, both of your, both you and your opponent have your own primary mission
0: mm, Nice. that
1: you're there, that you're there to accomplish. Yeah. My job might be to massacre the heck out of you. Their job might be to get an objective. Yes. Um, and each of those awards, if they fulfill them, will actually give them their, their uh, an award. Yeah. The, the, my reward would be different because I'm doing a massacre. Yours would be different because you're doing an objective mission. hmm. Um, So once that's done, now you sit down, you have, you've set the table up. You've gotten your primary mission. Now you're sitting down there and and creating your list up to the point value so that I know what you're, I know what you are. So Mm -hmm. basically the train's not going to mess with your game, your opponent, you know what he can bring. So you're going to make sure that you have something to deal with him. So you're not going to ever get, um, locked into this idea where I'm playing one army list for every game I play nice so it's it's flexible as far as you know when you go into a if you're going into a mission and your mission is to recover an artifact well you're not going to sit build a whole army it's going to sit back and, and wait you've got to go get it exactly <laughs> right and so that, that this allows you to, to customize that and to when you're playing send in the forces that you think would be best to deal with the situation at hand nice um and that's kind of how the game is set up.
0: Well, that's uh, gameplay. That's a whole. Before we get into proper gameplay, that's really exciting because um, I think you've really incorporated a few really narrative uh, little nuances, little flourishes that uh, a lot of game systems don't have that really mm-hmm. help sell the narrative. For example, by telling your opponent, uh, w- the aspects of your domain, um, the, all of yeah. the characteristics, uh, it makes sense that inhabitants of the same world, for so so to speak, know of the guys right. over the ridge, or people in the other continent, or you Correct. know, in their solar system, depending on which age you're playing in. And it makes sense that they would know, you know, sort of where evolutionarily those people are, um, mm-hmm. unless you wanted to do something completely wild and say, "Oh, look, somebody's landed from another planet, or a dimension door's open. We don't know who these people right. are." And I'm sure you can work that into your games, so that's really great. Um, but the but other thing is, even, oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: As I say, even then, even if someone, if a portal did open up, it's the scouts that are first telling you what, what, what mm. the heck's coming through. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and then you're gonna, you're not gonna send your, you know, your, 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 little guys out there to kind of pester them to, you know. Once mm-hmm. you know what's coming through, if they're sending massive giant demons through, yeah. you've got to be able to deal—you're going to send what you think can deal with that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, right? So that was the, that's the idea behind that.
0: So. Yeah. Well, then when you marry that with the uh, the variable mission system where each person has their own objectives, I mean, oftentimes in miniature war games, you play a mission where it is both players are trying to achieve the same thing. And though that happens in many conflicts— it is more often the case that forces on the tabletop would be more accurately represented if each side had its own objectives that they were trying to achieve. And the fact that you have that and you've built that in really does help create a, a really spectacular narrative on the tabletop.
1: Well, let me expand upon that. And, and you can, when, when you're starting to play the game, there is, something, there is a secondary mission. That, that comes into play and it's shared between both both your opponent and you nice um but that is not even rolled for until the end of the second round of gameplay
0: oh cool so you don't know what's happened you know what that objective so is until you're changing- thick and fast right in, in the, yeah, thick so the of
1: secondary it. objective comes in and the secondary objective is um is kind of that wild card it's changing battle conditions it's Okay, and, and and it changes the gameplay dynamically when I watch these guys play on the table, these play testers especially,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> because they're trying to maximize out what their what their progression points is, and the the way you get there's something called progression points in the game, mm-hmm. and you get so you get a progression point a point value, the most progression that you can get in a game equals the point value that you're playing. Nice. So if I'm playing a thousand point game, it's possible for me to get a thousand points out of the game for my, for my progression to advance me towards the next stage. And so the, those thousand points of progression, the, where they come from in the game is you have a primary mission. Your Mm -hmm. opponent has a primary mission and and then there's a a shared secondary mission. Mm. Uh, You get, you get 50% of your total progression. If you succeed with your primary mission. Nice. So if you have a thousand point game, that would give you 500 progression points. Now, if you stop your opponent from, from fulfilling his primary mission, you get 25% and you get 25% from the secondary mission if you beat your opponent from it.
0: Oh, that's a nice breakdown. Nice. Yeah.
1: So it, so if you're playing a 2000 point game, you have 2000 points that you po- can possibly get. Uh, and. Then again, your primary mission is always your main focus, your main focus of the game because mm-hmm. that because that gets you your primary mission game award, mm-hmm. which might be, you know, a new trait, a new species trait, maybe build a new class or give you some options to build a hero, those types of things. Mm. But your progression points are gained from the point value that you're playing. So if you're playing a lot of small games, that are fast, they're fast. They're just they're just much smaller. Mm-hmm. which is fine, but it also gives people a chance to really make sure that they're, they are progressing. There's not, uh, there's not too many games where someone actually blows somebody out at a, at a full 100% of, of the progression points.
0: Yeah, and that's important because getting completely blown out can often lead to what we call the feel-badsies in
1: the gaming uh, world. <laughs> well, the way the game works, it's, it's interesting because if my mission and your mission... You know, they couldn't necess- could be the exact same thing, right? Mm. But oftentimes you're doing two different things. My mission might be to survive. <laughs> that's <laughs> you know? right. My mission might be to survive with certain models or, or, or a certain percentage of my force left. Mm-hmm. Your, your mission might be to, you know, get in, or, or take my territory, take my deployment zones. Right. And that's going to throw us into conflict. But mm-hmm. at the same time, if I'm getting close to not surviving, My primary job is to survive. That's (laughs) right. I'm going to be not blocking him (laughs) if I I can get away with it. Um, Or it might be that both people have succeeded at their primary mission and that they're really pushing hard to either take it away from the other person or lock in that secondary mission, which you guys are both competing for because it's just one secondary mission. Nice.
0: Now, that was my next question. Um, Are the primary missions and secondary missions – clearly, the secondary mission, since it's shared, is not – A secret but are the primary missions um sort of secret do people know what each other are trying to um achieve or is that something that is intentionally part of the game that you are trying to block your opponent and achieve yours at the same time
1: you know you you both roll each other's in front of each other nice okay um there is there is a secret objective mission
0: Hmm.
1: which which um because when you when you set the board up, there are possible objective markers on the board mm-hmm. that may or may not come into play. Um, but the secret the secret missions mean that those are rolled are rolled not at the beginning of the game, but they're rolled uh, are rolled sorry as the game starts progressing. Mm. So some of those things can change. Nice. But it puts a it puts a balancing factor in there too, so that yes, I can go out there and I can stop my opponent. You know. They're trying to do this, but my, but again, your primary mission, 50% of your progression all comes from your primary mission plus your mission awards. Hmm. So everyone's really focused on what they're doing. You know, the, you know, the type of player that always gets lost on the mission because I'm killing models. (laughs) Never done that
0: myself. Don't know what you're talking about.
1: (laughs) Well, the primary missions, because there's so much focus on it, it really does help focus some of those guys. Um, and myself too, because sometimes I'm just going, Oh, I've been wanting to get rid of that guy. (laughs)
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. um, that comes into, that comes into play, but, and and knowing that the primary missions are there and rolling for the secondary mission in the, you know, after the second round, Mm -hmm. um, really helps refocus you kind of on what you're doing after Mm those initial, those initial salvos or movements. Nice. So they got, the purpose was kind of to help help players remember kind of what they're doing, mm-hmm. as, as well as throw a kink into the plan exactly. with the secondary mission.
0: Well, I guess that brings me to my next question. When you are playing these games, and I know I sort of interrupted your flow when you were talking about how to play the game. Um, oh, yes. When you have your forces, okay. when you have your tabletop, um, yep. sorry, when you have your forces to put on the tabletop, I guess my next question is, what size tabletop? And now you're talking about the scaling of the game. So clearly that might change um, depending right. on how big a force you're playing. But what sort of tabletop size uh, do you recommend per point value? 4 by 4 Excellent.
1: For, mo- for most games. Mm. Um, we kind of wanted to keep it at 4 by 4 for, mm-hmm. uh, for a majority of them um, simply because uh, it's so much easier to have.
0: <laughs> yes, right?
1: Um, you, you, there's an odd skew to ranges as well. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you have a four by six or a four by eight. Yes. Uh, for very big games, you do, you might need that. And so for larger games, over 2,500 points, I believe,
0: mm-hmm.
1: or it might, it might be 3000. Um, the game, the, the game can be changed to a four by six board. Okay. But we have played those big games on the four by fours and they've worked and they're, and they're just fun. Nice. <laughs>
0: Very nice. And how much time would a game play out? Again, I understand that they're scaling, um, but ballpark, Correct. what are we talking?
1: We play thousand-point games in about an hour and a half. Nice. Uh, that includes setting the board up. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a, a process for setting the board up. Oh, good. Um, yep. Do tell. Uh, well, so you, you get to the board. There's The board is divided into three sections. Mm-hmm. You have your your um, your deployment area. He has his deployment area, and then there's the area of conflict across the board that divides the board into three equal sections. Mm. All right. Within and then so basically you are rolling for the amount of terrain that goes into each of those sections. Oh, uh, okay. Now, if you have if you have a lot of terrain on your side of the board, you're not there's there's a rule stipulation about not allowing you to have elevated pos- defensive positions, mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can't set the tower up if you unless you have only one to two pieces of terrain in your in your bo- in your zone. Okay. And if if you do only have one to two, then you can put them in there, and you've got a nice defensible spot. Um. So that it, it's a, just a, it's a balancing factor for for terrain setup uh, within your deployment zone there are and without showing you the, the actual layout it's a little bit hard harder harder to describe but there are mm. six deployment zones within your within your area okay. for each player it starts from the left side of the board le- your your left side of the board okay and your opponents on the left and it, the zones are numbered 1 through 3 going across mm-hmm. and then an- another row that finishes up the deployment the, the deployment area mm-hmm. of 4 through 6 And they're labeled that way because you get to choose three of those zones to deploy into. Oh, nice. And so if you, and what you do when you're done is, and you deploy two squads at a time, Mm -hmm. and so you get to see what each other are doing and kind of react to each other. Mm -hmm. And some of that might involve some infiltration and sentries fighting it out or Mm -hmm. counter moving um, during all of this, but... Once you're done, you add up the total of your deployment zones of the three zones that you have. Mm -hmm. And the person with the lowest score there has initiative for the first game round. Nice. And so you can see what a person's doing. And if they're deploying the closest to you, they're choosing zone six. They're obviously not going to go first. Right. So you can um, and that and that kind of makes it kind of it's a fun game setup, not just, hey, let's just throw this stuff here and
0: here, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, it's almost the game within the game that that whole how am I going to deploy to uh, help you know using my forces to help achieve what I need to achieve? Um, how do I set that up um, and possibly you know give away
1: the the initiative to the other player if that best suits my own needs? Correct. Yeah, and there's scout. I love scouts. So when I when I'm playing, I'm trying to use my scouts. Although I think everyone's been killing my scouts as I do it mm-hmm. in the game lately. Because it's a it's a during deployment move into the area of conflict, mm-hmm. and if I get within so many inches of one of his squads, it allows me to as a scout note his location and lower my overall deployment initiative by one. So it lower so I have a better chance of going first. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So but yeah, so there's so there's little things in there that are fun to do, but um you can they can also get killed doing it. So, nice. Well, but anyway, so that that's deployment, mm-hmm. and that's how we set the board up. Um, and we talked about missions, and then there's, there's some weather effects also that are in there as well. So,
0: nice. And then the the giant bell rings, and um, somebody else has... gets ready to rumble, and the game begins.
1: What we have the game is technically six rounds. A mm-hmm. uh, six game. Or it's, it's it's six game rounds. Um, and the person with the initiative starts first, mm-hmm. and you have a certain number of activations that you can do during your player turn. Okay. Until you, And then once you're done with that, then your opponent goes, it's, it's alternating player turns until every unit has moved, or every squad has moved. Got it. And you can move a, a number of squads equal to the highest command characteristic that you have on the field. Okay. So, if if I've got a good command of five and my opponent kills him, now I'm going, now I got to go, oh, what do I have next? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, there is a little bit of that. And the game goes six rounds Mm -hmm. um, all the way through. Oh, and whoever finishes their activations first um, has initiative for the next round. Ah, nice. And you can challenge that and try and take it from the person, mm-hmm. which is a role against each other. And there's some modifiers to it, but it's, it's not, it's not the easiest thing to, to be taking someone's initiative away from them. Mm. Uh, but you can do it. Um, but that allows for a certain flow of gameplay instead of someone holding their, you know, holding all their units back. It's some people race to the end mm-hmm. <laughs> to try and get initiative. Um, some people don't, but you don't get—you're not going to get double back player turns, for instance, unless you're able to really challenge the initiative well. Um, but the game goes for six for six game rounds to mm-hmm. accomplish your mission. Yep. And then there's something called the uh, the end game. The oh, nice. end game is the end game can push the game into round seven, round eight, nine, and ten. Oh wow. Now, the way you do that is it's really simple. If you're going into game round seven, you drop a dice, you add your command value to it. If it equaled or beat that seven for the game round, mm-hmm. the game goes another round. Nice. So if I'm really close to getting my objective, but I just need that one more round, I mean, how many times does that happen? Oh, yeah. I can, I can go for it, and I can try and get it. Now, my opponent knows that, and so he may try and, try and get my, kill my leader, who has the high command so that I might be able to push it into the next round. So there's a little bit of gameplay and back and forth in mixed in, into that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, you have that um, almost game within the game in the pregame setup And then of course, then to, to have that, because it's a variable game length at the end um, or modified because you can try right. and contest it. You almost have that game within a game to see if the game ends, um, which, as you say, Correct. if you're both trying to achieve an objective, I think that will make for a really rich and interesting uh, tactical experience for the end of the game.
1: You know, and it adds new tactics where, mm. you know, trying to knock out a person's command is a, and control the game mm-hmm. is a very valuable tactic. Um, because, you know, high command allows you to activate that many different units during my during, squads during my player turn. That's right. And and it'll allow me if I need to, need that extra round or so to to get to try and pull off the objective.
0: Yeah, that's really cool because in a lot of games leaders are just sometimes someone who carries a pretty sword and runs around in the front but doesn't actually have a, a giant impact on the tabletop uh, in an actual leadership capacity. It's fantastic yeah. to see that not only does that have an impact on the activations of your forces, but also it, it becomes a very important part of that end game, mini game, so to speak.
1: Right. And, you know, there's a lot of games that I've played where it's the last round. I have the last activation. I wouldn't normally run these six inches out here to jump on the objective, right? Because I'd get I'd get shot I'd get shot up and be mm-hmm. dead. But because I'm the last person activating, I don't care. Exactly. And the game and game's over. Here, your opponent goes, no, uh-uh, I'm not having that.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you could do that, but there's a good chance there's going to be another turn, and then I'm going to hose you off that objective.
1: And then and then you're done, buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then I win the game. Uh, yeah, exactly.
1: So. We've we've tried to make sure that the game is very interactive mm-hmm. between both players on the field, not only in the command, like we were just talking about, but also in the activations. Um, with every every time that you activate, your opponent can do a reactionary activation as well, mm-hmm. um, and basically interrupt gameplay. Now their characteristics and stuff like that are at a, at a minus one, so there's a they have a harder time pulling things off, but they can do. Um, they can react to what you're doing. If my guys are standing out in the open, they can react and try and get that base movement out of my models to jump back into cover or something mm-hmm. to save their butts. Um, so there is a, a a back and forth that can occur. Now you would think those would happen a lot, but they don't happen as much as as much as I thought originally they would. Mm-hmm. But but they do occur and they do save they do save your butt.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, again, you're adding – I mean, there, there is – this isn't just a simple, okay, this – you go, I go, you go, I go, and then we're done. Correct. Um, there, there's a lot of tactics that you and a lot of, ooh, what is my opponent going to do? What am I going to do? Hmm, how am I going to counter that? And that just makes for a rich gaming experience.
1: Right. And it's – and the fact that if I do decide to react, okay – I'm not going to be at my full capacity because I'm just, I'm, I'm reacting to you. Mm. So you're not going to, you, your, your range skill is at a minus one. So I'm going to, if I'm going to shoot at you as before you're charging into me, I'm going to be at that minus one to hit you. So is it, or that minus one for shooting ranges? Is, is that going to be, is that going to be enough? Because as soon as he hits me, I've already used up my action for the round. So I'm not going to be able to fight back again. True. So, Um, that was the other thing. I know we didn't talk about that, but when you do activate a squad, they get a movement and an action basically is what is what it breaks down to. Nice. And so if you use your action, you're not going to be, I get to shoot at you and then I get to pull out all my, all my melee weapons and fight you at full capacity type thing, type game.
0: (laughs) Ooh. And that does not feel good to be on the receiving end of.
1: Yeah. And you, you know, so, You're making that just that conscious decision whether whether or not to melee fight or not or not fight in melee, mm. um, to shoot or to not shoot or to get out of the way or, you, you, it's it's a lot more choices on the field I think.
0: Yeah, and again those choices so. are, tactically what make games interesting. So nice. Yep.
1: and for for combat I mm. mean, since we we're since we we're talking about combat, yes, um, the combat situation is is one of those things in the game that. Um, came on much later. Okay. Um, we we have a the game the way the game works right now is you have your characteristics mm-hmm. and you're trying to hit you're trying to hit target numbers to hit a person right or to, 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 when you're swinging. So if you've got a range skill of say three and the target has a range target number of seven, you need a four plus to hit them. Right. And that and that makes it very simple as far as hitting them. Um, what the combat situation does is throws modifiers into that combat. OK? And what that, what that entails is is I activate, a, I activate a combat, say, it's a melee combat, um, where both you and me are both going to add up each other's combat enhancements. And that might be for outnumbering. it might be for um, uh, coordinated attacks it might be for a, a, a large number of things. Maybe I've got really big strength. Maybe I've got, I'll, I'll get these enhancements and these add up to my combat situation total. So I might have a plus three and you might have, may not have a whole lot there. You maybe you have a plus one that would give me a, a combat advantage of two. So I would add a two to my dice rolls in that combat. Okay. Only, only one side comes away with the with the advantage in there. And it makes the combat, it's very fast to come up with, and it makes the game dynamic as far as you don't get stuck in a combat that isn't, isn't ever going to end. Right. <laughs> but
0: we've all seen those and, combats of games that literally last the entire game and just go, you know, this, this isn't ever going to properly resolve. So having a good game system that would allow those combats to play out quickly and get on with the game, it's, it's pretty good.
1: Yeah. There's only one comp. There's the only, the only dice rolls that are done in combat are to hit and to save. That's it. Mm. So there are, um, basically two two dice rolled. If you've got your combat situation, the attacker rolls his dice to hit Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and the person getting hit makes any saves that they have to make. Nice. So, and so combat can be resolved, you know, pretty quickly. And the combat situation itself really changed the dynamics of the game. Once we put it in, uh, it just, it just changed. We had a lot of modifiers before, but it put all the modifiers in the one nice little package to determine who really has the, combat, the, the advantage over the other person. So you're mm. comparing notes to each other. So you're not adding dice to your dice, and I'm adding to mine at the same time. So we're not adding all these odd things together to see what I can do and what I can't do. Mm. The combat situation makes it one number, and one side gets the bonus or not. Exactly. So...
0: I really liked how the way the characteristics for this game lay out, where you have your ability to use a ranged weapon, for example, and have your characteristic for combat, for example, is sort of the number you need to roll to hit someone. But then there's mm-hmm. you add that with the defense characteristic of your particular model to sort of factor in if someone's shooting or when someone's shooting at you, if I read the rules correctly, which means mm-hmm. that... If you are a particularly, or if you're a a bad shot, you may not be particularly, you know, aware of how guns work, Um, and so that means that, you know, when people are shooting at you, you may not be, you know, good at hiding. Whereas if you're a sniper um, or someone who's very aware of how firearms work, and someone's shooting at you, you have a better Mm -hmm. idea of how to defend yourself from that fire. And I thought that was a very neat dynamic.
1: Right. Yeah. In order to, those target numbers in there are created are created by, for instance, for in melee combat, mm. you're adding two characteristics together to come up with that with that number. Right. And and that does add that. And it's and the same thing with range, but it's tied into your movement. Um, and movement bonuses that you get in game are all handled in the combat situation. OK, so if you're moving really fast, for instance, or you're in really good cover the combat situation grants you those enhancements to the combat to see whether or not you've got the advantage. Um, But yeah, the, the, the trait system itself was, or the characteristic um, system itself was a, was a, was a long time in the works. I think the first, maybe the first year or so they varied a little bit Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, on exactly how they worked. But once it was locked in, it really plays out well because with, uh, with those different characteristics, you can even attack different characteristics in it. You can attack somebody's, um, and normal, normally when you're attacking somebody, they have a toughness that they're adding to their die roll to save against the hit. Right? Yes. So that's how you would normally attack somebody physically. But if you attack somebody mentally, you're attacking their willpower.
0: Oh, of course. So they're
1: saving, they're saving with their willpower instead of their toughness.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Well, having read through, it just, there are, I mean, clearly, as you say, I I imagine there was a couple of iterations of this, because it seems to be an incredibly well-developed system, especially for a version, quote-unquote, one rule set that's about to go to Kickstarter. I mean, you look at this system, and it looks like a game system that is well-developed, well-established, and has been run through the mill countless times. It has that feeling, Um, and... I mean, just the way that you're describing it as well, I think gives us and the listeners an idea of just how much thought you've put into this. Um, so I'd imagine that it has changed a lot over the years. It has,
1: it, it has. And there were some very embarrassing moments in it, in it during it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure <laughs> those happened. <laughs> I remember some very embarrassing moments with the plates, with the in-house guys coming in and, uh. And I'm just, my jaws just hits the floor on Mm -hmm. what they came up with and what they were doing to the table.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The fastest way to break a game system is to hand it to gamers and let them do stuff with it. Because uh, uh, we as a uh, demographic do love to break game systems, break army lists, you name it, we break it. And so... Uh, the fact that you've had such an open beta for such a long time, uh, I think, mm-hmm. speaks volumes about how you've been able to develop this game
1: system. Yeah, the open beta was—you was, know—that's when you're getting feedback from all over, all over the world. It was quite—it was quite interesting. Some of the some of the feedbacks, um, and we took literally we took every single bit of it into consideration, um, if not making changes and adjustments uh, to them. Because even if I didn't, even if I didn't like what, like what I read, I still sat there and go, okay, put it away for a few mm-hmm. minutes. Let's come back to it and see what they're exactly what they're saying and where it came from yeah. and see what's going on with it. Um, and that was kind of the approach I took with it, which is why the open beta was closed for a year. Mm-hmm. And pretty much all the guys that were involved were starting to get a little antsy with me, um, because they hadn't heard anything for eight, nine months. <laughs> right. <laughs> because I was still going through all this feedback. And it was um, uh, some late nights mm-hmm. and some long um, in-house play tester sessions where we're just sitting there figuring out, you know, figuring out the details. So. Well,
0: well, as you said, it's better to have those uh, those embarrassing moments during playtesting than after the game comes out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, it was interesting that when I first decided to actually go forward with the game mm-hmm. and start actually, you know, let, let's put these on paper and let's make the, let's make the rules. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's an, it's a whole nother thing to put it in front of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's a whole nother thing to go to open beta and see what, and see what, what reactions you get. Yeah. Um, and. Even then, this is the type of game that I, I, I literally could work on this game for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> I, having seen what you've put out already, I can believe it. And I'm sure it would just add <laughs> even
1: more depth. So, And then I think the whole thing is there's a, we, there's a point where the game really is hitting the point where all we're doing now is adding things that, okay, these are cool. <laughs> yeah. But let's, you know, we don't, we don't need to get into those. Right Mm -hmm. now. Let's just let's get the core game out. Yep. And um let's get people playing. Exactly. And let's see what they're making. Um on my site I ran several create create a faction contests with some of the some of the beta rules. And I got in fifty, sixty uh different factions that people were creating. Not one of them was the same. That's awesome. So it was it was interesting. Even people that sit sit together and we've I've had some um, some testers sit down and, and create the, the same faction together because mm-hmm. they wanted to play kind of the same faction, just different groups of it. So they made their classes a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I gave three months later, their factions had pulled apart <laughs> mm-hmm. quite a bit as they were changing the way just to their play style and their, and the way they saw it happening.
0: I think so. that speaks volumes of the depth of the game and where the variability that it allows and as we've been saying the the whole time along I think the word of the episode is evolution and how you know the game evolves with you as a player as you play um yeah. which is pretty pretty awesome well okay you want to get the the base game out in front of people and yeah. um I know that you've done that with the beta and with the open testing and live testing, but now we're going to the great big wild world um, in Kickstarter in just a couple weeks. So let's talk about what is going to be involved with the Kickstarter campaign. What are people going to be able to get? Because as you say, this is a miniature neutral game. Um, Tons of companies are going to be, you know, have their models in the books, but it, yep. This game system is not going to be married to any of them, particularly. No,
1: that is correct. Um, now, when it came when it came to launching the game, I actually had to. I I'm. I i, I have not launched a game before, and I know that, mm-hmm. and I know that there's so many pitfalls that can be done out there. So in comes Dave, mm-hmm. Dave, Dave Taylor, Taylor. If you don't know who he is, and Dave and I. Um, yeah, and I, I clearly, if he says that this is the way it needs to be, that that's the way it is. Yeah. The man knows because he, he is the expert. And, and I know that, and I'm not going and I, and I didn't want to hit the pitfalls that all these, that a lot of games can hit.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I wanted to make sure that this game was successful. And I think that bringing in Dave in was one of the, it was an important aspect of that um, because he does know what's going on, how to get, how you know, not only in launching the Kickstarter, but in actually getting the books to everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, the Kickstarter is going to be two books. It's going to be the, the Genesis project, the core rules, Mm -hmm. which is the core rules that will involve, um, sorry, it's, it'll be, it'll be good for all the ages of the gameplay. Mm -hmm. It will have several pre-made factions in it so that you can get the core rules and play the game. Nice. And then we will have, um, the birth of Genesis, the first age. And that is an an all-encompassing book of all five domains Mm -hmm. um, with with the powers and the armory. Um, I know the promotional set that that you do have does not have the armory or any of the powers in it um, and doesn't have that list in there. But that's going to be all part of the first age. Um, There's also going to be a monster creation you know, section as well to, to customize and create monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will be part of, that will be part of it. So we're going to be launching the book. The books will be part of the, um, part of what people can get the pledges. Uh, they'll be able to get digital copies as well. Uh, and that will be our primary focus. There will be a couple, uh, greater awards that will allow somebody to get a, an early version of the, of the rule set, uh, or of part of it to actually create a faction and so that people that made those pledges will actually have that those will be our pre-made factions in the core rules. Oh, that's awesome! Nice. Um, and I'm still talking to um, a company which I won't mention quite yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they may even be putting out a um, be, be putting out a monster miniature created by our monster creation rules. Cool. And I'm... that and the and the monster would be created through a pledge level. And then the monster would be created and available to everybody else later on, mm. um, but the, obviously whoever made it would get. I, you know, I'm sending them. I'm sending them the miniature. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. There you go.
0: Oh, that's cool. Uh, I I love how you're including factions, pre-made factions that are player-made uh, as part of yep. the base game, so people can get. I mean, it's one thing to have this put in front of you, um, which, which is what I had when I looked at the at the base rules and went, wow, the possibilities are endless. But then it's another thing to look at some pre-made factions to get an idea of exactly how you can combine them, and then mm-hmm. look at that open menu again and say, okay, now that I've seen yeah. how some other people have do it, this is how I'm going to do it. Uh, and that's really clever. I think that's a really great addition to the, uh, to the books when they come out on release
1: and we are going to and and those are going to be made by players. We now we already have two of them already made. Um, but those were made by players during early design. Mhm. And so they were they were part of the creative faction contest and so those those fact those two factions that won will also be included as well. And then nice. there'll be ones from the Kickstarter launch. Oh, that's fantastic. Um so and and that's the purpose too. I mean, it's it's taken a great deal of input from people everywhere and It'd be great to have your name in it.
0: <laughs> exactly, right? Who doesn't want their name in a game book?
1: <laughs> I do. So we've we've done yeah, I do too. <laughs> but we've done all of that. Um and I think that it's 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 gonna be a lot of fun to sit down with the people um at the conclusion of the Kickstarter, mm-hmm. get them the get them the the, the domain that they want to be a part of, um and create a faction out of it. Yeah. So
0: well, I think it is really important to go back and touch on one thing that you mentioned a minute ago, and that's the inclusion of Dave Taylor in this project. Now, yeah. if you are not <laughs> familiar with Dave, um, he is a longtime friend of mine slash the show. Um, Dave and, and I, in fact, were roommates at one point, um, and he is he was the former editor of White Door for Australia for a long time. Um, he's been a part of the greater gaming community for In eternity, it feels like. Um, And recently, uh, last year, he had a successful Kickstarter for his book, Armies, Legions, and Hordes, uh, which I'm looking at on my shelf right now, uh, which is just an incredible uh, resource for gaming. Um, now, yep. if you want to hear him talk about his experiences with that Kickstarter and helping people with other Kickstarters, um, if you go back to Cast Dice episode 50, um, you can listen to him talk about that. Now, he um, is sort of a freelance uh, gaming uh, guru. I don't know the word. Uh, a fixer, uh, a helpful a handyman. But he goes through and helps people who have done the hard work, um, like Gary in this case, and helps them with the aspects that, as Gary said, he hasn't tackled before, like a, a successful mm-hmm. Kickstarter. Because it's one thing to sort of read about the pitfalls. It's another thing to actually talk to someone and to work with someone to make sure that, you know, who's been through that process again and again and again to make sure that what you're promising on your Kickstarter will be achieved. So, yep, yeah.
1: And that, and that was important. And that's important. I mean, it's there there's so many unknowns as far as, okay. Right. So, I mean, from, from as easy as who do I use for publishing, Mm-hmm. you know, or who do I use, you know, who, do, and how does all this work? And, and Dave knows the ins and outs of that. And he also ran a, another recent successful Kickstarter too on terrain essentials. That's right. With, Mal. um, mm-hmm. with Mel. Yeah. And, You know, he did, uh, Dave knows his stuff and he's worked with, you know, cool minis or not. He's worked with Mm -hmm. just, he's worked with a ton of guys. He has. And so he knows the industry. And so when it comes to a lot of that, um, I, I, I have suggestions and and things that I see and Dave Mm -hmm. says that either works or that does not work. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And and we don't, and we don't do what he does not say does not work because he Mm. is, he is the mastermind behind behind that stuff and he is uh um brilliant when it comes to that so i i have nothing but good things to say about dave and dave and his family so
0: yeah absolutely well it's it's i mean it's so easy to get caught up in traps when you are setting up your own kickstarter and of course i say this never having done my own but having followed and backed many you know it's sometimes hard to know what what you can promise and what you know what you can deliver on and. Again, as you say, the behind-the-scenes of distribution and uh, yep. production—it's it, a huge process—and to, so to be able to do that with someone who knows what they're doing—not um, to say that you don't, but to, who's been through the process several times—really does um, lend a credibility to the project. Um, yep. That you know, it sounds like you've gone through from creation through beta, um, up through even planning the Kickstarter you have gone through systematically throughout this process to ensure that you are creating a fantastic game system. So great stuff,
1: Gary. Well, well thank you. I, I, you know, I want to see it, I want to see it be successful at, at launch. Um, and I, and I just knew, I knew that I could, that I can't do it all. Right. <laughs> I can't. And Dave and Dave is that Dave is that person we meet. We, right now we're meeting once a week, and I think mm-hmm. that's about to pick up. But um, as far as you know, where we're at, where we're going, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, he's he knows his stuff, and I, and sometimes it's getting the right people doing the right thing mm-hmm. to, that make things successful. Agreed. And I'm and I'm not gonna and I'm not gonna block his path when it comes to the stuff that he knows. Exactly.
0: Well, Gary, it has been an absolute. Pleasure talking to you today. I I'm really looking forward to this Kickstarter uh, coming out, so I can see exactly uh, everything that you've been talking about today. And more to the point, I'm looking forward to backing it so I can get a copy of this game to play with my friends. Because <laughs> man, oh, like I need, I need another game. Like I need a hole in my head. But this looks great. So uh, this is exactly the kind of narrative game that I want to sit down with my friends to to play out and. I want to evolve my own race and I want to, there's just so many good things. So, um, guys, if you're listening to this, um, Gary's Kickstarter goes live on July 12th. That is a Friday. So be ready for it. Look for it. And, uh, yeah, man, show the guy a little love because this is, this is something special. It's not like, you know, not all games on Kickstarters um, have the, the the backing and the love and the playtesting behind it to, uh, to ensure that it's a full gaming experience. Um, this does not feel like a version one rule set. This feels like something a lot more. Um, so, Gary, I'm looking forward to that. Thank you so much. Um, if people want to find out more about this game, do you have a website that people can look at?
1: We do. They can go to uh, genesisgames.com, mm-hmm. and that's a good a good launching point because it has information about the Genesis project, um, also links to Facebook, mm-hmm. um, and that's probably the best place to go to get that introduction, mm-hmm. and we will have more information up on both as well, and um, we just launched the Facebook page a um, few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I think it's going now, but... That is, will give yep. you more up-to-date information on exactly what's going on almost day-to-day. I think I even mentioned I was going to be recording with you today. Oh, nice. There you go. So, so it's want to know what's going on on a day-to-day basis. Check out Facebook. Check out thegenesisgames.com. Mm-hmm. And see us on July 12th.
0: Now, it is Genesis spelled G-E-N-E-S-Y-S. So if you Correct. are looking, look for the, to put that Y in there, uh, and then you will find it. Correct. Nice. Well, Gary, as I said, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today, and I am looking forward to seeing uh, how successful your Kickstarter is. And uh, well, we wish you all the luck from Cast Dice, and thank you so much for coming on.
1: And thank you for having me. It's been, it's been great, and it's been a lot of fun to talk about the game. Mate, you are exactly
0: the kind of game designer that we love to talk about, someone who's passionate about their project and has put you know, countless hours into it um, to make sure that the people who are playing their game are having a great time. So thank you again.
1: And thank you. All right. All
0: right. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, if you have feedback about this episode uh, of Cast Dice, uh, and you have any want more information about the Genesis Project, um, or want me to pass anything on to Gary, um, or have feedback about games that you would like us to talk about, or just want to talk shop, uh, you can go to Facebook and search up Cast Dice. C A S T D I C E. Uh, my name is Brad, and I am the only one who answers. Uh, messages to that page guys we have seen a massive upswing in messages to the page in recent months um, and I have to say it just comes down to you guys having great ideas for the show and having um, you know great feedback about the things we're doing um, I know that I do have guests on every week but at its core this game sorry this gaming podcast really is just me um, and so it is wonderful to get encouragement and um, to hear exactly what you do like so I can make sure that I make sh- you know You get more of it. So, without further ado, though, I think it is time to say goodnight. So, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Good (laughs) night.